Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Guys, for what we all agreed was a very light-hearted film, we ha- we ain't off make this episode really, really political. <laughs> We're talking about Italy's associations with Germany in World War II, <laughs> and we've also had reference to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What are we doing? What are we doing here? This is meant to be a light-hearted romp, a bunch of British guys going, self-preservation society. <laughs> and somehow we're, like, predicting, like, the end of Nostradamus. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the heart. Great. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I am joined by my partner in crime. It's Craig McDonald. Yeah, have we have we done any heists lately? Have uh, have we managed to get away with it in our in our getaway vehicles? I mean, the only thing I could talk about is the absolute heist I I, I took getting to York during Storm Eunice and Fr- uh, Franklin. <laughs> that might as well have been the equivalent of an Italian job heist, given that it was essentially me in a car that looks like a Mini Cooper for about twelve hours straight. Yeah, people don't realise there's actually like a bus hanging on the edge of uh, the Prince of Wales Bridge right now. <laughs> there might as well have been if you saw some of the clips of the of the actual lorries tipping over. It wouldn't surprise me if there's still a bus sort of hanging yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. Maybe there was some like gold or like um like a twenty to twenty two equivalent, like some Pokemon cards like lying <laughs> lying outside of it. But the question is, does does he have a great plan that will never manifest into anything to be able to save it? True. True. So, uh, Craig, as uh, we alluded to there at the top, as always, uh, we talk about the movies well worth watching, despite duds along the way. So just to tease the audience at home, do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching? Oh, God, it's well worth watching. Awesome. Well, uh, if you tuned into our last episode and Craig chose the film, I guess that (laughs) won't be as big a surprise. Uh, But yeah, we'll um, soon find out why that might be the case. First off, Craig, uh, just as a little bit of a catch-up, as you mentioned, you've been very busy uh, going to different places. Uh, how how has your time been and uh, how's everything been going? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I managed to get to York. Uh, I entered a debating competition there that I won. Uh, I had to defend fan fiction in the final, so I feel a little bit sick. Um, but, I mean, bar that good. Uh, I, was also, uh, I also received uh, a mention for this podcast in that final. So one of the participants in that final listens to the show and actively said look i know that craig knows what he's talking about i know he runs a podcast on this stuff you shouldn't listen to him you should listen to me and i was just like yeah i i i'm totally gonna call rank on this it it was fun uh i got accused of having a vitamin d deficiency because i to too much 5d's porn sorry for the sense you're gonna have to do there david (laughs) okay less said about that the better probably but um i mean i mean for the for the reference i don't (laughs) yeah 
yeah, that that's the main thing I was hoping we would clarify, to be honest. But yeah, interesting. We've already mentioned Pokemon cards and and that in our intro <laughs> should be an interesting episode, but definitely unrelated to what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, especially given the fact that the film we're talking about is 1969 Cars. <laughs> so um, yeah, well, we'll get on to uh, that film in question uh, very soon. Uh, we'll be talking uh, all about it. But first of all, Craig, can you just uh, give us a recap on the last episode and how we came to choose this film and what it is? Yeah. So unlike me just now, we were actually well behaved and didn't mention the euphemism when we were talking about the film Snatch. I was very much determined that if my film got chose, I wanted to avoid Guy Ritchie to a certain degree. But I still wanted the film the sort of, you know, embodied sort of a different form of British crime culture, as well as like it had the loose connection of... Jason Statham starred in the remake of The Italian Job, so I thought it was a good connection to take us to the actual Italian Job itself. Thankfully, my film was uh, was chosen uh, by the winner of the previous Endgame. So, cheers, buddy. I really appreciate you for that. Awesome. Yeah, well, um, we'll look forward to discussing uh, The Italian Job, as Craig mentioned there, and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, which is our vault of movies that celebrates chosen films for all time but before all of that, we have a new guest joining us on Well Good Movies. We're thrilled to be announcing them today. Please welcome to Well Good Movies, Luke Davis. Hello, Luke. Hello there. Thank you for having me, gents. Wow, that was that was some intro. As, <laughs> as podcast intros go, I don't think there's anything that mentions that. I won't mention it again because you won't have to bleep over any more stuff. But wow, what an intro. <laughs> well... I, I kind of am sad we can't give you a bigger like entrance. I kind of want to do like the Italian <laughs> job. I want to be there like clapping with like metal plates, like <laughs> maybe not shouting for England though. We'll shout for Wales because I'm I'm sure that would be more pure to our heart. Indeed, especially during a uh, Six Nation season. I think uh, a patriotism uh, uh, and slight, maybe somewhat xenophobia comes into uh, the, the the general ethos of this time of year. Uh, but yeah, shout out for Wales. That would be an Italian job I would love to see made, though. One that's based in Wales or one where which has Welsh characters in it. That would be a film I'd love to watch. Yeah, actually, in the last episode, we were saying that Wales is pretty underrepresented in terms of quality cinema or maybe realistic uh, depictions, not over the top stuff. But um, but anyway, uh, good to sort of let people know that, yeah, we'll uh, very much a Welsh focus uh, today with uh, Luke, yourself, you're from Llanethli. Um, but yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. You uh, obviously are a presenter, um, but you're also a film fan, which is why you are here today. Um, so you've worked a lot in like television and you're involved in a lot of different projects at the moment as you're freelance. So um, yeah, just tell us about what is you do and uh, what you've been up to? Yeah, of course. Um, I was at Cardiff TV for five years, which is the, the local television station here in the capital of Cardiff. I did that for five years. Start off as a weather presenter uh, and being a weather presenter for a local TV station is the most bizarre thing in the world because it kind of zooms in on the city and you can't really go further afield because there's local tele stations across all of Britain. So it was a bit like in central Cardiff, it's five degrees Celsius and just outside, it's also 5 degrees Celsius. There wasn't much kind of, you know, difference in the weather reporting. So I did that for about a year. Then I became a presenter and a general journalist, uh, local news, that kind of thing. I covered the uh, COVID pandemic for a year on my own, which was fun. Uh, well, not fun. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. But wow, I learned a lot about myself during that time. Um, and yeah, and I've been freelancing for about three years. I've um, been doing it full time for about seven, eight months. And in that time, I've worked with uh, ITV, doing uh, presenting a show 
show called FYI Extra, which you may have popped on in hotel rooms randomly at like 3am, where someone is telling you about film trailers and news about the entertainment industry in general. I'll be honest, the kind of people who watch it are either drunks or insomniacs, so, you know, great fan base there. So, yeah, I did that for a bit. Uh, I've also uh, recently done a bit of acting. I was in a, an S4C uh, children's sketch show called Chwarter Cash. Uh, for those who don't speak Welsh, that means sensible quarter, and it's anything but. A lot of fart jokes and, and silliness in that, so you can tune into S4C to watch that every Thursday afternoon and uh, yeah I've done loads of other random bits and bobs I'm on a podcast on BBC where we talk about current affairs called the Hayley Pierce podcast um, and I'm currently doing some freelance with the Museum of Wales uh, where today I learned about Dungeons and Dragons and filmed some people talking about it so I'm very 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 lucky to have quite a, uh, a diverse kind of uh, career at the minute which which is fun. Yeah always good to hear when uh people have got like a yeah just a, a whole range of different projects that they're involved in because like I said it just means people can bring different bits of knowledge and, and specialties to to the podcast as well um when you said about the Cardiff weather I couldn't help but think and this has come up quite a few times for me in personal life recently I think it's trade center Wales but people have quite often mentioned the fact that like the one which is essentially near like Abercunnan is called like Cardiff North, like on the television adverts where they're like, visit us at Cardiff North. And ev- anyone who lives near there in Pontypridd, Merthyr is just like, how is that Cardiff North? So maybe that's a way around it. Maybe you could just be like, in Cardiff North, it's uh, a bit more cloudy. In Cardiff North, North. And then if you're going as far as like North <laughs> Wales, maybe that's like North, 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 North Cardiff. <laughs> Yeah, beyond the wall. Um, I remember once, speaking about that, on, we had a weather graphic once that covered kind of Cardiff and the surrounding areas. And for some reason, uh, the the, number, the the thing for Usk was dodgy. And it, it was an automated system which kind of refreshed the weather every couple of hours. And for Usk one day, it was like minus 22 or something ridiculous, like really cold. And this is like in the middle of March, April. So most places were like, you know, maybe 10 degrees or something. And Usk was minus 22 and it was too late to change the graphic. And I had to just go with it because I hit, hit a deadline. And I had to just kind of stand in front of us and turn, well, if you're in us, you're obviously struggling right now. I mean, it's really cold there. And I had to just kind of make a joke out of it. Um, but I can imagine people in us maybe tuning in going, hang on, what? Don't step outside, darling. It's too dodgy out there. Look at that. It was just, you know, off-com complaints through the roof, possibly. But we survived that day. Fair play to us guns. They're a tough, tough people. So, Luke, uh, obviously you've got a big range of work that you've uh, been involved with. In terms of, uh, like, the types of films you're into uh what are some of your favorites i know you're one of the few people who actually shares like one of my favorite star wars films which is return of the jedi and you get the privilege of obviously sharing your name with the the title character it's it's one of the best things growing up with the name luke the amount of times though i i I have heard uh which people quote often wrong people come to me and say luke i am your father which is the quote no i am your father is that the correct version of it yeah. yeah, it's it's one of the movie quotes that gets the Mandela effect a lot. That's it, the Mandela effect. Yeah, and it's it's, but it also is a, a series of films which I grew up loving, and I personally think, uh, controversially, that Return of the Jedi is my personal favorite one. Um, I, for me, it trumps Empire. I'm so sorry. I know a lot of people will disagree to that. Uh, David, you said though you you agree though, don't you? you? That's one of your favorite ones. Yeah, that's my personal favorite. Like I said, critically, I can appreciate or see that empire is the better film but it's just i personally enjoy or love return the jedi more 
Yeah, it just I think it just strikes a chord. But as well as Star Wars, I I, I like I like quite a range of films. I, I I love all the Edgar Wright stuff, the the Cornetta trilogy. Um, I like sci-fi, so Terminator movies up to maybe well anything after Terminator Two was just downhill, I think. But I I, I love Terminator One, Terminator Two. Uh, I loved Dune recently. Uh, I love the original Matrix. I've not seen the new one though, but I've heard that's a, a bag of swear word. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of war films, um, although everyone jumped on the bandwagon, I thought 1917 was superb, but I also like some of the older war films, like my dad brought me up a little bit with uh, the likes of Dam Busters, Bridge Over the River Kwai, uh, Great Escape um, is one of my all-time, all-time, all-time favourite films, Inglorious Bastards, uh, Same Private Ryan, Master and Commander, um, so kind of, gen- I guess maybe stereotypically kind of boyish films, if you do want to call it that. But uh, yeah, sci-fi and, and war movies is what I would gravitate towards more than anything else. Some good choices there, some good picks. And uh, yeah, hopefully stuff that'll come up uh, in the podcast in the future and ones that we, we've we discussed uh, before in the past as well. And the fact that that like, classic film uh, element is there as well with the stuff that you, you grew up with, I think is kind of timely to what we're talking about today uh, with the Italian job as well. So we'll now get on to our question of the week. So before we get into our main topic, uh, this will be another chance to sort of learn more about uh, our guest today and then discuss some of the elements that will be coming up in today's film. Today's question is, is it true when they say they don't make them like they used to? Specifically, maybe more in terms of like your classic genres like crime films, war films, potentially comedies. So, you know, Luke, I'll go to you first, especially as we were kind of just discussing that where you were mentioning films like, you know, Dan Buster's Great Escape. Do they make them like they used to? Yeah, it's, I don't know what it is. I, I don't think film these days maybe has the patience. Like the first thing you initially kind of see is how long that some of the scenes are in the old movies. And I know we're going to come on to Italian Job in a second, but I literally watched the old Italian Job and the new Italian Job in the space of a week. And the first thing I noticed is the intro sequence of the original driving through the Italian hills, really taking its time, really kind of enjoying it and really sitting in that moment. And the new one, it's just cut, cut, cut. It looks like someone has literally just graduated in a degree in learning how to edit on Premiere Pro, you know, really showing off, cut, 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 cut. And I wonder if that is something to do with the way that cinema has evolved or maybe something more to do with the fact that we're more used to that constant stream of kind of dopamine hit after dopamine hit. And we need, and the same in comedy as well, whether we need that kind of high gag rate as if we're in a kind of stand-up show all the time, over and over and over again. So I don't know where that's kind of come from, but I certainly, it it, it does initially, you do find it quite jarring initially when you go back to see a film that you love. Like one of my favourite films is It's a Wonderful Life. And again, really lengthy, really taking its time. Um, but the way the the story is, it's, it's just so much more, I think can be so much more charming uh, and the stories are so much more simple back in the day. And it's just something about it that it kind of brings you, it kind of centers you in a way. Like when I was watching the old Italian job, it was so camp, so silly. And it was a breath of fresh air to all the kind of flashing lights and 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 busyness that you see in kind of modern day cinema and modern day films and yeah i think it can be quite quite refreshing yeah definitely and i think yeah i think an element you picked up there is definitely true that aspect of you know taking his time and i think especially with something like it's a wonderful life or italian job those films even like citizen kane a lot of them actually didn't get their kind of acclaim 
um, and cult status until much later as well. So it's almost as if even in that time, the sort of famous blockbuster movies, if you will, haven't been as well remembered. So some people can maybe make the same case for films that are coming out today, but I just don't think that we kind of have those hidden gems as much because even you have your kind of like awards fair and everything like that, but they're still quite well publicized or sort of like seen. There might be some that sort of like slip through the cracks. Um, but I think just even when you're talking from like a filmmaking perspective, I think the fact that, you know, a lot of these are shot digitally or they will still be an element of like they need to have like star power um, or they'll have to like touch on certain themes and, and there's always kind of like a visual aesthetic to them. Uh, there's certain things you just can't do anymore. Um, whereas I think the old movies, especially as we'll discuss with like Italian Job, but plenty of others as well, you're like, how did they do that? You know, the fact that they're able to do these kind of like stunts or like throw cars off of cliffs and stuff like that where it's probably now some sort of health and safety or you know like city would come in and be like uh no we we don't want this to happen you know like whereas before they probably just did it on the fly or other rules have been made since you know kind of like stories have, have come about since how those famous uh incidents happened it is because of that i just find a lot of older films just just genuinely more impressive um uh, because i think the big problem i have at the moment is that while I think a lot of newer films in terms of, you know, we're getting back into the sort of groove where a lot of films are having to think about, uh, you know, writing and they're having to think about character a little bit a little bit more in some areas if they are trying to do spectacles. The thing that I respect about a lot of older films, especially with Italian Job, as we'll discuss, is that a lot of the appeal can just be the spectacle. So when it actually comes to character, they don't really have to... F- to worry about that too much because i think the one thing that you can note about italian job is that it is very much just about the heist it's not about any of the personal relationships it's, it's not about deep character dynamics it's very much a sort of a gang mentality of just there are picking boys picking boys that's not a thing uh there are boys who are consistently picked on in the group like arthur for example but the reason you watch it is because of all of the ludicrous just driving through italy and just the insane car chases and you're right that's something that newer films, even if they can get away with it, it's just physic. You just don't feel impressed unless you, unless you do something like say Mad Max Fury Road, where you try and bring back that sort of practical element and only have CGI for about what twenty percent of the actual like background images, not for the actual uh, the actual cars itself. For me, it's just that question depends on what exactly you're looking for because I think that there are elements where i prefer newer films in terms of just characterization and story but i physically prefer some older methods of filmmaking yeah that's interesting you said about how you see more impressed with films or how they were back then like even something as simple as how like editing when it comes to the editing suite i remember when we were doing some edits once in cardiff tv and we had to like reverse a shot or something or we had to cut a certain way um, and my boss at the time is saying that he remembers a time when film was was physical and you actually physically had to cut things and change things. And to do things like reversing shots or slow-mo or whatever would take so long and cost so, 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 so much money. So when older films do these kind of braver cuts or maybe different cuts to a, to a normal straight cut, I don't think people realise how hard it was back then to actually do that and how much time it took to do that. And like you say, and what I think about newer films as well is that 
Like when you watch the again old Italian job, you see cars crashing. You know they actually had to crash cars to make that happen. No, you can just chuck it on a green screen and it's done in a second. But at the same time, I think older films can maybe age more. And I wonder if it'll get to a point where they'll ever kind of overtake films that have been made in more recent years in terms of how people appreciate them. Like I don't know, like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings is a nice example. Like I watched The Hobbit and cringe at how much CGI is in that, and that's what ten years old. That trilogy of films, you watch Lord of the Rings now and the makeup still looks spot on 20, 21 years later. And I wonder if old school filming techniques like that will just age better and people will always appreciate them because they were just that much harder. Yes, maybe uh, more expensive and more pain in the backside to do, but boy, do they age much better. Yeah, I think that's why, especially when you look at blockbusters, but it does kind of apply to sort of your smaller films as well. I always kind of use like the analogy, especially when you're talking about your Star Wars and those kind of big franchises you know i often go to like theme parks and roller coasters because even though a lot of people might sort of scoff or say like oh you're just being like you know martin scorsese and being cynical that like these films like theme parks but i think it's true in the sense that like they are making something which is an experience and especially the hobbit films like peter jackson wanted to have this higher frame rate and the kind of action to be like mimic a, a king kong ride i think he went on um in a theme park and you know he definitely sort of achieved that in the cinema but then on rewatch you're kind of like oh well i don't have this experience anymore but with theme park rides it's similar that yeah you can go on to like a virtual reality thing and you know you you've got the i don't know the sort of vehicles that they have on wheels and you're moving around and you're seeing everything on screen but it doesn't it can never top like having when you've got like the physical animatronics there or like an actual like doll or something or like things are being like steam fog it all has to be physical and i think that filmmakers should go sort of like you said luke about oh it's easy enough to do it on green screen so i think people hopefully will in the future and i think this should be the mentality is if if it's easy enough to do in green screen then that's telling you that there's something wrong that that means you shouldn't be doing it because if it's like oh we can just do that in in greasy or we can just do this with cg that should then say to you like oh well actually we shouldn't be doing it this way because it's the easy option you mentioned dune earlier there's a youtube series which i've mentioned before called vfx artists react and that's great because it's people who do current vfx but they always talk about the classic stuff how they did it back in the day and so pay tribute to that because they agree they're also like we love what we do we love creating these cg vfx shots but it has to be done with like a certain level of like with practical as well that's when it looks best so they look at things like you know the old mummy films now they actually physically made these little sets and miniatures and the old uh so dune which uh, came out back in the 80s even though that film is you know very very weird the like some of the stuff they did for that you just like there's so much effort that went into it so like for example they had like when they were arriving on the planet they had like a miniature of the ship and like you see all these people like coming off the ship and waiting, guarding the ship and waiting for their arrival. So obviously they didn't have like whatever, 500 extras and they didn't have like a huge massive ship. So the way they did it was they just put this little miniature and put loads of dots on the ground, then put a hole in the ground and then just placed like 20 people like five stories below the hole in like a big warehouse and they had to line it up exactly with the same colored floor. So it looked like they were standing outside that ship, but they were actually just stood like way, way down and it was just a miniature. So it's that kind of stuff, which is testament to how these old films were made. Good evening, Bridget. 
Croker. I've got a job lined up. Get out of here. It's, it's all here. Maps, drawings, plans, everything. You've been put up to this, haven't you? You've been bribed to upset my natural rhythm and ruin my health. Michael Caine does the Italian job on the outside. Masterminding the job from the inside, Noel Coward. Two gentlemen on the job. Does Mr. Bridget think he can take over Europe from a prison cell? Also on the Italian job, Raph Fallon, Tony Beckley, Maggie Bly, Rosano Brazzi. I want Charlie Croker given a good going over. Hello, Charlie. Lovely Charlie. Nice Charlie. Good to see you, Charlie. Um, now, what would you like? <laughs> Everything. So this uh, came out in 1969. It's described as a comic caper movie about a plan to steal a gold shipment from the streets of Turin by creating a traffic jam. Obviously using uh, the very famous and iconic Mini Coopers. Stars uh, Michael Caine in the lead role. Uh, again, so like another so famous cast as we've had uh, previously. Uh, you've got uh, Noel Coward here. You've also got Benny Hill. And then like a whole slew of characters, uh, which are there as the kind of members of the gang who are pulling off this crime. Uh, you've got Rosano Brazzi, Tony Beckley. You've also got Margaret Bly, who plays Lorna. Um, and then like, yeah, just a massive host of different sort of character and comedy actors who show up as well. Uh, this was directed by Peter Collinson and written by Troy Kennedy Martin. We'll go uh, first then to Craig, as you chose this film uh, in our previous episode. So why, Craig, do you think this is so iconic before we sort of get into the general sort of story? And, and why do you think there are so many memorable moments from it? I think it just oozes British charm. And I think that, I think the sort of going into the 70s era, I think that sort of dominated film quite a bit. Uh, obviously, you had uh, like Michael Caine just becoming a big star and just appearing in like a lot of different films. Uh, so it's very much just this being essentially one of his most me- uh, recognizable roles, I think, sort of dominates that as well. Um, but it is just, it's just a film which is pure, unadulterated fun, essentially. There's no, there's no major, like, elements sort of dra- drawing it back in terms of, in terms of you should take this film very seriously. It's just not that at all. It's something that people can just get involved with. Uh, I think just the cars themselves have just made the film very iconic uh, and also just has probably one of the most discussed film endings, I think. Not quite of all film, but I think in terms of like both the spectacle, but also just the sort of implications of just what actually happens, what actually happens next. I think it's very memorable for those, uh, for those reasons. And I think just when you just have all of these people just being so utterly ridiculously British, uh, for the, uh, for the time, I think, I think it just comes off as fun. I think it's just really, really good fun. 
definitely. And uh, like I said, we'll be going into the sort of like memorable moments and uh, legacy later on. Uh, Luke, what sort of memories does this bring back to you? I know when I said this was the sort of chosen film, uh, there were definitely some sort of memories and and sort of certain points in history that you, you sort of came to your mind. Yeah, I I actually can't really remember sitting down and watching it all the way through. And I know I ha- it's been on in the background when I was growing up, and I've always seen various like bits and bobs and scenes. But I remember distinctively remember playing the PS One game, the Italian Job, which was I don't know when it was made, the nineties, I'd assume. Um, and I just had a look at it just before the podcast to see what kind of game. And I remember what it was like in my mind. And the, the time I thought the graphics were great and I thought it was really good. Oh my God, like every PlayStation 1 game, it's not aged very well. And the voice acting, oh my gosh. The person who's obviously voicing Charlie is just like Dick Van Dyke on steroids. And it's like, a stupid cat couldn't get me the damn car for the journey, you know? It's just like, the, when, when voice acting in games wasn't even a thing. They obviously just got the guy around the corner <laughs> down the road just to voice it. Um, so I distinctly remember playing that game and I remember the game being really, as you say, Craig, really camp, fun, British, um, just kind of unapologetically silly. But when I watched it again last week, um, it's all very much that, especially the car chase in the last kind of half hour. But the scene, which we'll go into later on, where they actually get the gold from the truck it's actually a little bit violent. They're throwing some bombs and they're beating people up. It's like a five minutes of where it goes a bit dark and go, hang on, this is taking a turn for the worst. Oh, okay, we're back into Camp Britishness again. Um, but yeah, it was definitely something that when I watched it, I could feel all that fun lovingness towards it come to the surface again. Yeah, definitely. Similar to last week, we were talking, um, I think our guest Paul um, put out a tweet not long before we were recording saying about he remembers when he was a kid and like being ill putting on Simpsons VHS tapes and I kind of was like oh what a throwback you know that idea of you know being like you know in your sleeping bag or your blanket watching watching old videos and stuff and and so similar when you said like oh I remember the PS1 game again it was something to just instantly flash me back because I'm not sure if I owned the I think oh actually I think I might have actually it might have been something that was either just like given to me but I definitely remember it being either something that I played through like a demo disc or something like that so that in itself was kind of a throwback I was like I remember demo disc where you just play the same level over and over and over again um but yeah I think it or it might have been one that was just given to me or like somebody sort of give it as a freebie or um maybe one of my cousins had like lent it to me or something like that but it very much was of that era of games in which they were like yeah just racing around London is fun enough uh on its own and I think that kind of speaks to the legacy of the film when we grew up because I know for me it's definitely like a favorite of like my dad one of my dad's sort of favorite films one that he also you know always kind of like jokingly references um you know he loves like the blow the bloody doors offline it seemed like I don't know it might just be biased it might just be because obviously that's why I grew up with but it does seem as if like that kind of went through some kind of like resurgence back in like the 90s because maybe you know like because why else would they have done the game this seemed to be this kind of like embracing of Britishness and like maybe it was like things like the World Cup and stuff like that but whereas now I don't feel that many people are talking about the Italian job or remembering it in the same way maybe because Mini Coopers everyone like thinks of like the the brand new one but you know back then I think that there was like this kind of like oh the Italian job it's like this staple of British cinema I think that's kind of like faded away a bit more in like in recent years I would argue part of that is that it now has the negative association of the remake so I think once you could sort of bring in Jason Statham and just 
Like, I've only seen scenes of this film, I'll, I'll be honest, but... Well, it's Mark Wahlberg is the main star, so probably maybe throw him the kind of diss if you... <laughs> okay, fine. Oh, yeah, to be fair, I also hate Mark Wahlberg more. I think people just think it's just the sort of stupid... Not to mention the fact that now that Fast and Furious have sort of dominated a lot of the, uh, the box offices as well, I think people just have this association of just drive car really fast as part of your heist... Uh, and I think it's be- I, I think it's become a, a weird sort of formula that people don't necessarily respect. So I think people aren't going back to the original because they just think that's what it's going to be. It's just going to be driving cars as part of a heist when actually there are just more kooky elements to it uh, that actually make it more enjoyable. Also, it just gave us the banger, which is get a bloomin' move on, or in brackets, the self-preservation society. Like, come on, that, that song has just got to tell you everything you need to know about the film in just terms of... The, the sort of boyish, like, British charm that people are going, f- like, that it's just going for. Come on, it's just, it's not about just all exclusively drive cars really fast. I, I, you know what? I actually watched the new Italian job again. I watched scenes of it back in the uh, 2003, I think it came out. And I've watched it all the way through until uh, earlier on this week. And I had a really good time watching it. I thought I would hate it. I went in thinking this is going to be the biggest load of trash I've ever seen. Jason Statham does the same thing every single film. Mark Wahlberg, yeah, whatever. Um, Seth Green, he did like Austin Powers and Rat Race and a couple of things, and he's a Family Guy. Yet, yeah. I actually had a really nice time watching it, and I, I think I went into it really wanting to hate it, but I had a great time. Yeah, it's all fast cars, and it's a bit more based around the story as to why they do it a little bit more as opposed to in the original. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. But again, it was just too techy, too clean. It didn't feel like an Italian job. It, fe- it felt more like a Fast and Furious film as opposed to an Italian job film. But taking away the fact that it is called the Italian job, I think I just remember as well why I think it's called the Italian job, where the first scene, they do a job in Italy, in Venice, where they nick something. And then later on in the film, they refer to it. They go, oh, let's do it like the Italian job. And I went, hang on, in this film, is the Italian job actually a film in real life and my girlfriend said no no they're referring back to the original job they did right at the start which was the job they did in Italy so there's a kind of weird link there or maybe the Italian job is actually in that universe and they were referring to that I don't know but it's much more of a personal vendetta against one person I loved Charlie so 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 much I, I, I love the fact the first thing he does is he goes and gets himself a nice, a nice car Goes to his tailor. I mean, it's very James Bond, isn't it? He goes to a hotel full of women. What was weird is that it's a bit where he goes to all these women, yeah? And then, like, half hour later, his uh, wife or girlfriend finds him cheating. And she's going wild. But didn't she arrange the original women to meet him after coming out of prison? He does say that. He's like, like, you were okay with her the other day. She was like, that was your returning present. (laughs) I'm like, so if it's your permission, that's that's fine. So I, I was left feeling somewhat questioning the the morals that was late 60s at the time thinking hang on was this acceptable i know with the swinging 60s guys but come on this is a bit out there um but i i left it feeling actually really kind of refreshed and i feel like a lot of films now are so or maybe the things i've seen recently then i've, I've kind of been so deep and so dark and one of the films i watched recently was a film called the platform uh, on netflix which is a spanish film about it's basically a, a metaphor for working class and kind of it's a uh, I'm sorry for social class and it's done really grisly horrible film called the Pl- it's a really good film but I think because I've been so used to seeing a lot of grisly dark films at the minute and although there was a film critic I interviewed or edited sorry a year ago who said that during times of disaster 
Bolo when Caulfield was was pretty bad. We kind of find um, a kind of like solitude, or we we feel kind of relaxed when we see disaster movies because we can look at them and think, well, my life isn't as bad as that. And that was his theory behind it. But I think you can do that. Like when COVID first started, yeah, the most watched film was Quarantine on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, so I think people gravitate towards these kind of films. But after a while, you realise. I need a bit of British campiness in my life. So I left walking walking away from that film feeling really refreshed and thinking, my God, they really don't make them as silly and fun and not deep as this anymore. So yeah, we need more of that in my uh, in our lives, please, to elevate this feeling of, you know, constant pressure possibly. Also just like how easy digestible it is. I think a lot of people will say these days like, oh, you know, like it's great to have like 90 minute films, you know, as great as like your four hour versions of, films can be as well you know I, I love those when you can sort of really stretch things out have lots of time with the characters it's also really nice to have those kind of really easy to digest like 90 minute films and it's the same with this so even though there's that kind of expectations that older films can be quite long or drawn out you know this is an example of one which is really snappy really quick and easy doesn't sort of like wait around so it, it it really is you know great for an afternoon watch or to watch in the evening because it doesn't take up you know all that much time which i think is great as well yeah definitely and it was also quite like not only like the heartiness of it but it was quite i think it moved on from things quite quickly i know it sounds really strange but whenever we look at like all the people they always have this attitude of yeah whatever okay next and it just has that constant feel no matter what happens it's like when they crash one of the cars when they're preparing to do the heist and um michael kane's just like oh yeah whatever oh well get on with it and there's a bit where they're preparing all the different plans and things. And he says, oh, wipe the toilet seat because we don't want fingerprints on it. Like, that would be a big kind of thing, maybe, in a modern film of, like, forensics. and He's like, oh, wipe the seat, it's fine. I just love the nonchalant nature of it. And the police just come and they crash. And then they go on the stadium for a bit. And they do, like, a little lap around. And it's just so silly and stupid. It's not kind of expendable. as It is, but it's... It's 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 refreshingly so. Did you get what I mean? It's something you can watch and walk away from and not have to dwell on it for two hours afterwards. It is really really nice and a nice change. For me, that was most embodied by the the confrontation scene between uh, Charlie and his group and the Italian mafia on the uh, on the roads, where they're just destroying his cars with with a digger, and he's just there like, you've just void you've just voided his insurance warranty. What are you doing? <laughs> just and then just that weird threat of. There are like a quarter of a million Italians in the UK. We will destroy their lives if you go after us. Or your restaurants and cafes will go under. I was just, what? This is such a random threat. I love it. And also just that end scene as well with the the, the chase and everything. It's that kind of charm. And the, the only thing I can kind of think similar if people wanted to kind of replicate stuff is like something like Knives Out, which is like, oh, we're going to kind of like, you know, pay tribute to like the murder mystery genre. Whereas if somebody kind of wanted to do this kind of campy, fun crime caper again, it, it possibly could be done. I'm not sure. But you wouldn't get now, you know, a, a, a chase scene in which somebody then just goes like, make a wish, you know, with like a chicken bone from a chicken that they've just randomly like plucked off somebody's plate as they're racing around. But also, I think that's why I find like enjoyable sometimes, like you were saying, Luke, about something you don't have to like be too like hung up on about films like The Disaster Artist or Dolomite Is My Name is that because they're talking about like bad filmmakers and people who are just like, screw it, like, you know, throw everything at the wall. It's kind of so goofy and fun and silly. You can, you can kind of enjoy low level kind of, idea to it so even though this was probably like it's obviously a high level production because you've seen all the like stunts and the great 
you know, action pieces that they have throughout it. But there's no element of like, oh, there needs to be people shooting guns. There's something exploding. And that's what is more refreshing to like your modern stuff. There doesn't have to be that need. It's it's entertaining enough to see minis just walk, you know, skidding through the water, going through the streets, you know, going down like steps and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be this like, oh, you know, like they're, they're, they're being shot and like all the windows are out or like something has exploded behind them. It's just that enjoyment of just like the racing around the city on its own is enough. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, definitely. And, and not only that, it's one of the, the biggest difference I, I saw from the new and the old one was the the technology in it, you know. And 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 like um, when they they use the um, the computer system in Turin to 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 stop the traffic lights and stuff. In the new one, it's literally like, yeah, so I made an algorithm and I, you know, get the codex, all this kind of thing. In the old one, he just chucked, uh, is it, was it Benny Hill's character, the professor, just made these random scrambler things and he's chucking them over fences, like, Whoop! and he's like in a football kind of top and, uh, yeah, hello, darling, is this the way to the, he's just like this mumbling kind of like idiot and just chucking stuff over fences. I love that. And also in, in the center of Turin, where they control all the traffic lights, it's just one computer and like one screen and a wall. Whereas in the modern one, obviously, it's like a big gallery of like, you know, NASA's kind of mothership. And it's just that lack of technology, which is quite sweet. And even in scenes when all the guys are like waiting, waiting around, you know, in a modern film, people are probably on their laptops or in their earpieces or on their phones or on their computers. Whereas there, they're just waiting around and just having jokes with each other and doing a bit of casual banter before doing one of the biggest heists the world has ever seen. And it's just that feeling of, of it is a very kind of lads, lads, lads film, but it also ties into that kind of, that, that British camaraderie maybe we were feeling at the time. Like you mentioned, it was what? Um, when was the World Cup? A couple of years after the World Cup. And I think it was at a time where people felt like, yeah. And, and the ice cream parlour quote you said as well is that, I think, I wonder if a lot of people at the time in the cinema felt like we're with these boys, you know? And chucking that Aston Martin over the, over the cliff, an iconic British car, it's an attack on us, baby. You know, what do you think you're doing? So we're really rooting for the guys to, to get that gold. Well, I think that's why it came back, like I said, in the 90s is that kind of like there was the World Cup then and there was like the Jubilee and stuff like that. So I remember, you know, loads of like, you know, bunting and British flags being waved around. And even though we've had that with street parties and stuff in the last few years, I don't know, there's something something different about it, maybe because of social media. Maybe that, you know, is a big part of it is it just doesn't have that charm anymore. I would say I, f- I would find it ironic if part of like people's British people's sentiment of supporting this film was just, yeah, that guy re- wrecked one of our... Uh, British Mini Coopers, where our guys end up wrecking more Mini Coopers than the enemies ever do in this actual film. They literally steal the gold, get them off. It's like, right, yeet them off the coach, boys. Yeet them off the coach. And we're like, yeah, go on, British values. <laughs> the fact that you were saying there about the gang and stuff as well is there's not that reliance to be like, oh, we need to like find out about each one. You know, like they kind of introduce them around the table and then we just go along for the ride and then you kind of learn or like have the jokes about them as you go along which kind of like works with the kind of quick paced story that that they're telling so i think that you know that that works out quite well i think the fact that he's like get you know like camp freddy on the case and i was like i remember rewatching. i was like is this like an organization is this actually like a camp of like where you've got like hitmen like a placed and then like once you see then the freddy character you're like oh okay and i just love how again they don't feel they need to explain it describe it and it just plays throughout the rest of the film you know the fact that again you got that banter that's happening in the end race scene where he's like come on you know like keep up but keep up and then he's just like if you were going any slower da, 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 and like when he's like filing his nails and just 
just the balls on that guy to wear like a hot pink suit <laughs> like before <laughs> before the entire thing happens. I'm like, I respect the hell out of this guy. I respect the suits in general as well. I mean, that's another thing about older movies that everyone wears a suit. And even the mafia guys who are just, they appear on that hilltop just and then they just you know, go away, and they rock up, and they're all pristine, wearing these incredible, and they're all stood, even in, there's a funeral scene in it as well, which I thought was incredible, even the people in the background are kind of stood in these really cool, kind of nice poses, and they're kind of tailored suits, where, yeah, obviously, in real life, that would never happen, but it's just quite nice to watch, and how Charlie goes to his tailor, what's the quote he says, he says something like, I'm not a gorilla or something, or to bring the sleeves in love, I'm not a gorilla or something, and I think that just oozes that, class of as soon as you get out of prison you know nowadays people would go to maybe mcdonald's or something i don't know but he goes straight to his tailor to get himself sorted with a with a nice whistle and flute i think it's brilliant and it's the banter as well isn't it the fact that that guy is just like he was like i've been in prison i've been behind the times on the fashion he was like did you have a life sentence you know it's, it's just a get a get a great line what you were saying there, Luke, is definitely one that stands out to me. And that's why I kind of mentioned like Knives Out is knowing what your film is and knowing the sort of tropes and having like when the mafia, they all stood there like in poses. It's kind of that confidence to go like, yeah, this wouldn't happen. This, But this is what we're doing. This is what we're going for. And I think that comes through a lot in like the cinematography and stuff when they have those shots of a lot of characters when they're kind of like in focus and there's like a sort of like soft edge to everyone around them so revisiting it i was like wow i I forgot like how well this is shot and filmed especially there's a lot of like artistry to it and the same with those shots where they have the people placed and they're all stood stood there it's very much they go in for that kind of feel and vibe and i think that's like why and i've i've always sort of enjoyed the character but probably more so every time i've watched it is one of my favorite characters definitely is mr bridger just because there's such pomp just an arrogance and just like the the majesty and just like that's something that you wouldn't get as much as i you know love like donald sutherland and everything like that that's not something that you can like attain or get in like something like a gritty cool remake is just this idea of this man who has this posh like music playing and just at the end i love that's one of my is one of my like top sort of cinematic moments is him coming down those stairs and just kind of doing the wave and just the look on his face and i just love how many times in the film there are where they have you get an understanding of his world and how he operates without them explaining it once the fact he goes we need to have a funeral and you know like and then they're just there immediately (laughs) funeral and like he goes to the dentist and like he's there like playing poker or whatever with like people dressed as dentists just i just love him as a character (laughs) Yeah, and there's a see the first time you see him, isn't it, when he's on the way to the toilet, and it literally is going to the throne, and they have guards there, and they're knocking like uh, Mr. Bridger, are you okay? And they're treating him literally like royalty. Yeah, and I think that's what this film is kind of going with is this idea of like, oh, you know, like the British rivalry of other countries and stuff, whether it be like Spain or um, even you know wales versus england scotland versus england that kind of stuff but it's that idea of like the english versus somebody and i think that's why a lot of like brits can sort of like really get involved with it and love it in that sense but i think kind of like with snatch it's it doesn't age badly or anything there's not kind of like this really like horrible negative view of the italians um and if you know if anything the mafia and stuff are really like a a threatening force in the movie yeah, and I, w- I wonder if it also links to the, you know, the idea that, of course, when we beat, well, not when we, sorry, uh, when England beat uh, Germany in the World Cup and the Italians were in the German side for a while and, yeah, they, you know, surrendered early. I wonder if there's that kind of 
hangover of World War Two in there, and it's almost like after World War Two, that was all kind of Britain's last real fight. And I wonder if people went to watch this film, that it was a new generation of people feeling, oh, when's our next fight going to come? And it was almost like, oh, this could be a precursor to the next kind of bout we're going to have with the Italians, possibly. Like a band of, you know, British people coming together, no matter what your background, you're all British and you're all fighting for the same thing. So I wonder if there's a bit of a hangover of, because in the 60s, there were so many kind of war films. And I wonder if it was playing on the back of that, as well as that feeling of national pride that the, that the World Cup got. I wonder definitely yeah there's there's a lot of like history and kind of like relevancy i think to to this film and i think that's why again it doesn't seem to be as well remembered at the moment but who knows maybe all of our um run-ins with italy or like the fact they keep winning things maybe that will bring this film back out again i don't know maybe there will be an italian job maybe it'll be italians like getting the best of us or something like that guys for what we all agreed was a very light-hearted film we we ain't off make this episode really really political (laughs) we're talking about italy's associations with germany and world war ii and we've also had reference to the russian invasion of ukraine what are we doing What are we doing here? This is meant to be a lighthearted romp, a bunch of British guys going South Preservation <laughs> Society. And somehow we're like predicting like the end of Nostradamus. It's that scale as well, I think, which works really well with this. As we were talking about earlier about classic film, is that everything is real. They're in these great like locations. The fact that they're going through so like the Italian uh, you know scenery so much like the mountains like the opening in this film alone you're like oh my god I think loads of people say you know I would have loved to have seen so and so film like as it premiered like back in the day in the cinema and you know while you know something like Jurassic Park it can be great to go re-watch that and be like oh I've watched it on the big screen but you know back in the 90s would it have been that much of a different experience where something like this i think would have been something like really special to watch in the 70s in in 69 to kind of be like oh wow you know look at this this film with all these like sports cars and these minis and, and the self-preservation society it, it would have been really cool i think the only thing that stands out to me every time i see that end chase scene though and i'm not a big fan of you know when you have those tv programs and things like mistakes in films i don't like to watch that stuff like they always used to be on like bbc3 like oh you know famous movie mistakes i'm like i don't want to watch it because i don't want to like ruin the film for me i don't want to see that thing every time i watch it like in the background but i can't help but see it every time with this film is when they come out of that tunnel and there is a very very clear dummy <laughs> behind the wheel of the police car i'm like the, you didn't even tr- well they tried to hide it but i'm like wow that, that's definitely not a human being I, I actually noticed that as well and i hadn't watched uh you know top 10 italian job mistakes ever but i noticed that when i'm watching it and i paused it and around it thinking to myself oh i'm so maybe that's what it is maybe because we can rewind tv you know back in the day you had to tape it and the effort of going back into the cinema you got was that a dummy anyway who cares they've got the gold who cares so maybe it's just that we're not as kind of forgiving anymore um i, I just love the nonchalant nature though of not just the people in the cars doing everything but the people surrounding the cars when they're going through i think there's a scene where um they go past a uh, a wedding ceremony or there's a bride and groom leaving a church and the, the photographers just carry on i mean kudos to the photographers i mean they are really dedicated they, they don't even come away from the their lens you know did you guys notice that this is so professional i laughed really hard at that scene i i absolutely adore that scene and just the amount of minis going down steps i just appreciate like i loved when they were going through that like kind of i don't know sort of 
town hall cathedral kind of thing and like you can see like the carpet on the steps so again this wouldn't be done today they'd be like you're not ruining our ancient steps or whatever back then they were like just put a bit of carpet down it'll be fine (laughs) yeah exactly and there's no cgi they actually messed up cars doing this and they really took their time to do it and yeah, I'm really glad that I've rediscovered it. So thank you for having me on the podcast to allow me to go and watch it in its entirety for the first time really ever because I can't remember when I watched it in its entirety last. But what do you guys think as well with like the memorable stuff? Like, you know, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Like, why has that become so famous? Why is that such a, you know, a big thing? Let's face it, people hate incompetent people. <laughs> uh, I think everyone has had a moment in their life where they just want to just say something of the equivalent of you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. It's also just quite an easily memeable line. I, I remember it being used in quite a few Mock the Week scenes we'd like to see, for example. So, like, it's it's quite instantaneous and just easy to just place into, like, various memes, which I think is just why people would have latched onto it particularly. It bigs up the Britishness as well, isn't it? It's very much, you know, bigging up the Michael Caine, the bloody doors, you know, so it, it's it's easy to remember in the terms of, like, oh, that accent and everything like that. But, but I think there is the fact that because there's the minis, the chase, um, you know, Mr. Bridger, there's, there's so many other iconic moments as well, like the music, the song. I just like the scene as well where Lorna and Charlie are fighting and you just hear the squeaking of the teddy bears all around them. And it's just they're trying to have a serious argument and all the, in the background, all you can just hear is like, I just couldn't take it seriously. It was so fun. And then obviously uh, Mr. Bridger's goons just come in and beat him up. And then be, and then they just go back. It's like, okay, we we paid him a visit. Good, pay him another one. I I I don't think he'd appreciate that. So, no, I want in on this deal. Oh, yeah, and I is it? I think it's Arthur. Is that the one who says with the chicken bone and everything like that? I loved the little again that you could tell that they were all playing their characters and sort of like knowing what to do throughout, um, which is like sort of great direction and great acting on their part. He has that sort of flat cap on throughout the film. And, you know, when he says, like, put your helmets on, he puts the cap like into the helmet and then puts it on. I was like, ah, that that's a great touch. That's a great touch. That the chicken bit is unbelievable. I laughed a lot at that because he takes the whole chicken and he just turns to whoever he turns to and goes, yeah, I could eat an ouse. And he's like, just got a chicken. And you think, boys, surely you would have had a slap up meal before going on this massive trek, surely. And then he gets the wishbone, doesn't he? And he snaps it. And he's, I, don't, I don't know if he says make a wish or something or he snaps it or something. But it's just obviously you've got all the pressure on the world on your shoulders and you've still got time to make a silly gag like that. I think it's just that British optimism, really, isn't it? And it's um, there's another fun scene I really like as well when they're in. Ah, uh, there's like a, a cleaner, I think, at the end, but before they leave the house, before going on the job, and there's a cleaner just cleaning behind, and they obviously give him a few quid to keep his mouth shut or whatever. And it's just like just stupid things like that. And there's a bit where they're in the, uh, I think they're in the minis on the way to the job, and someone says, "Oh, it's like the black hole of Calcutta in here." And it made me realise the Black Hole of Calcutta is such a British thing to say, but I didn't actually know. Do you, I, I, I googled it to find out what the Black Hole of Calcutta was. Do you have any idea what it could be? Do you know? Do you know what it is? Is this like a dark thing? Are we going to go into like some more politics now? <laughs> you know what? We are. Let's yeah. avoid the Black Hole of Calcutta. Let's just swerve that. Uh, yeah, let's look into it. But Google it in your own time, folks. It's uh, to do with a dungeon in Fort William where prisoners. I'm not going to go into wow. it. But there, yeah. there was definitely some stuff in this film which, like, you know, um, which I thought, okay, this is a very niche joke or something. Like, I think where they were like. Uh, was it maybe where 
they got off that was it i think when charlie was ringing the kind of mr bridges assistant he was like he's not interested in this this is not like a big enough job like you know this is there's nothing going on there and then he's like so um how are things going in durham or something and this guy's just like there's some stuff going on on the street and i was like it was like i don't know at the time i was like was this a big joke at the time with people like yeah or is it always been kind of kind of like a weird niche joke is it, it those those are the moments that sort of make me laugh yeah, and then, then you got Benny Hill's character, as I mentioned earlier, the one who make the, who's the, the tech guy, I guess. I mean, there isn't really a tech guy in the 60s because who needs a guy in the chair back then? But his character, is, he's, he's like some kind of weird sex pest or something. It just I mean, that's just any... Benny Hill to a T. If anyone thinks of Benny Hill, they just think of infamous sex pest. I'm surprised they wrote his character as close to just his his comic persona as they did, to be honest. I think I'm sure I read that Hill wrote that character him himself. I'm that sure. um, that really doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I could be wrong. I look it up. I'm sure he wrote that weird kind of professory sex pest thing himself. I'm sure he did. Something I would love to see as well in terms of lines and moments is the whole you know only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. But actually, the bit that they don't focus on is the fact that they go like five four and it's like zooming in i was like can somebody take this and put it in the thunderbirds intro have like a michael kane version of the thunderbirds intro <laughs> introducing the different thunderbirds i thought that that'd be quite fun but that cliff scene do you know what the term, does the term cliffhanger come from that scene or am i is that just a coincidence i was thinking now because when um i looked into like how famous that scene was they were just like they wanted a literal cliffhanger so i was like well the fact that they've gone for it in that sense makes me think that they've acknowledge the term rather than coined it if you know what i mean they definitely didn't make the term because cliffhangers have been a thing since uh since like the the western the like spaghetti western tv show era so very much talking black and white so i suppose that's a good place to end on is kind of the cliffhanger you know what what do you guys think about that that's probably again where you got blow the bloody doors off you know the self-preservation society all these different things the ending is such a famous aspect of it you know, Craig, what, what do you think works so well about it? Well, I mean, the fact is that I, I just love how it came about because uh, not to go into like VHS corner, but very quickly, the reason that happened is because the censors wouldn't allow a film to end with the with the criminals winning. So they just needed an ending that that left enough ambiguity to a potentially mean a sequel could come back, uh, could happen and b to just denote that they didn't win. So it's just that fact that we're left in absolute limbo with whether or not they pull this off. I think I think it's just, I think it's just marvelous. Not only that, you just have the sort of basic uh, basic idea of we do like and respect these characters. We don't really want to see them die, and it's quite possible that they they could, especially given that Charlie is the one who's leaning literally closest towards the gold. Um, and it's just so different from the book because the book is just they actually get the gold back to England and then they're told, OK, now you've got to return it. Yeah, like, oh. I was trying to look into that and I actually couldn't find it. I was like, what is this based on? Because loads of the like material out there is just like there's a British caper film. And I was just like, this must be from something. And I couldn't find anything about what it is. But it is stemmed from a book. Then It is from a book. I, I couldn't tell you if the book is also called The Italian Job or if it's a different one. But based on the research I did for an upcoming segment, that's what it is. Although I personally like what Michael Caine's desire for... Because, you know, he says, I've got a great idea. Mm. 
apparently his idea is let the gold and the bus fall because it'll crush the mafia who are waiting at the bottom of the hill for them. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard that one before. Yeah, I think he said it on um, an episode of Graham Norton. Yeah, I think what works so well about it is when you look again at like something like because I think I also read that there was a planned sequel as well, so that even the Mafia ending, which you talked about earlier, Craig, that would lead up to that sequel. Regardless of whether a sequel or whatever is going to happen, the, the cliffhanger still works. It's not like where we've talked about before, where you've got like the ending of films, like this has only just begun, and it's like this big franchise thing, and you're like, oh, and that never happened because it underperformed and never did well, and that ending just doesn't work anymore. Whereas I think this one still does because it's such a romp and such a caper in which they're like they're taking on so many challenges and throwing different curveballs as they go along. Then at the end of it, you're like, oh. This is just another one. And it kind of just is like, this is their lives. And like, it's just the fun of thinking, how are they going to get out of this one? And you, you don't want to know, I don't think. Hmm. I was left annoyed, boys. I'm not going to lie. Oh, really? <laughs> you want the sequel? <laughs> I know, I, I, no, I was so frustrated that it, it, it ended like that. I know, I know it's supposed to end like that because it's we've survived all this and we've you know, fallen the last hurdle. I get it. But there's such a gravitas when we introduce uh, Big William in the making room. He's going to drive the bus. And Michael Caine, even at the end, has the air of cool about him. Like, yeah, we'll get over this. At that point, out of snap, they're going, Big William, mate, come on. You, had, you were literally... All, you, you just had to drive the bus. That's all you had to do. And you just mangled it. I would be so annoyed. It really got me somewhere. My managerial, managerial mind of bossness. I would have sacked him on the spot. I mean, it's no good now because you're hanging over a cliff. Oh, my God. So angry at Big William, mate. Jesus. To be fair, I was going to say, I, I did think he was driving the bus in a in a sort of uh, English hooligan sort of manner. So if anything, I think it's just in keeping in with the spirit. <laughs> it's, it's no excuse. Was he drunk? Was he was he drinking Big William? Did he have like, a bottle in his hand? I can't remember. I'm not sure is the honest answer. Um, I would hope not. He just seemed to be kind of like vibing with the whole celebration thing. I didn't see him drinking. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it works and it's fun and I, I, I wouldn't want to know what happened. Um, but if there was to be a sequel years later and we had old Michael Caine or something like that, I think even then, you know, like I would enjoy like sort of referencing it kind of like Indiana Jones sort of thing of like, you know, they're all old and looking back, but I wouldn't want to know what happened kind of thing. I would maybe like be interested in what happened later on, but I wouldn't specifically want to know the specifics of that. So this is a question now about the remake. Because obviously, like I said, I haven't seen it all. The, uh, I haven't seen it all the way through. What happens at the end of the remake? Insofar as do they do they pull it off? Or it's the complete opposite. I won't explain all of it, but it's it's basically where um, they do a job and they get get betrayed by one of their best mates, and the best mate that betrays them kills a this this uh, who's played by oh, I can't remember the actress's name um, who who's an Italian job two thousand three. Charlie's Theron. Charlie's Theron. Charlie's Theron. And her dad gets killed by the betrayer. And the scene ends with her punching this betrayer in the face. And he gets dragged away. And all the the heroes walk away with all the cash and they live very happy lives. So I think it's a bit of a nod, a little bit maybe, to the original where it's like the best ending you could ever hope for. Maybe maybe I'm just too much of a, a, a completionist and I love that feeling of it all being wrapped up in nice one bow. Hence my love for Return of the Jedi possibly. That just feels really cliche to me, just the idea of we did this job and the job worked. I don't know, there's something for me personally. I can understand for the idea of the completionist just, yeah, they've gone through all that effort, it's nice to see that effort rewarded. For me, it's just a case of that is just the typical thing that could happen. Whereas in this scenario, it's just 
They still manage to stay relatively cool and collected, even when the literal worst thing that could happen has happened to them. So for me, there's a sort of entertainment in that fact. And the fact that it is like, guys, I got a plan. I think that's the perfect line to end on because, again, it was like, you know that they're going to get through it. They know that they're going to come up with some crazy scheme because they've done all of this so far. And I think because you see Bridger as well, there's kind of still a finality to that, the kind of like celebration and he's happy. It's not like the film ends on like, oh, by the way, they failed. And he's like, oh, <laughs> so I, I still feel that it was successful in some way or form. All right, then, lads, rewind those tapes and play them again, because we're in VHS Corner. So let's address the very first thing that was sort of rumoured. So the idea of the Fiat cars. Basically, what happened was that the owners of the Mini, uh, so the British Motor Corp, uh, actually refused to donate any minis, uh, any cars to the film at all. Fiat, on the other hand, saw the potential of advertising for this, so they decided to leap in and offer all of basically all of the cars that the film could ever want so they donated a bunch of lamborghinis a bunch of ferraris and this is i think where what luke was talking about comes in they offered them a bunch of fiat 500s if the fiat 500s with the cars being used instead of the mini coopers however uh peter collinson decided that as it was a very british movie it had to be british minis uh, this didn't stop Fiat from actually still donating a bunch of cars as well as a bunch of factories that are used for a variety of the uh, of the shots, including some of the actual um, chase scenes. So that's why I love that Fiat did donate a bunch of cars and those are the cars that end up getting wrecked throughout the actual film itself. One thing I actually found really interesting about, about this film is that uh, early on especially... Uh, there's a little bit of weird sort of editing choices, especially around Charlie's character when it comes to travel. Uh, so basically he says, like, I'm going somewhere and the next shot is just at that place and he's just getting out of the car. That's because Michael Caine couldn't drive. So they had to sort of film this entire film around that fact. So that's why throughout the entire film, about... Bar that one scene where it's implied that he drove, that's why Charlie is always a passenger throughout the entirety of the film uh, to get round of that. Next. So, you know the scene where Charlie is getting, uh, is being picked up by his girlfriend who's waiting for him outside of prison and she's driving uh, the car of the ambassador of Pakistan. Like, surely that wasn't the actual ambassador of Pakistan's car, was it? Yeah, it was. That was actually the car of the ambassador of Pakistan at the time. Uh, I have no idea what they did to swing that. That is their car. Probably my second favourite fact about this film. Quite quickly, I think we talked a lot about the legacy of uh, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Um, According to a movie survey conducted in 2003, that is the UK's most memorable uh, movie line of all time. So that's how much of a legacy it actually has. It stands out. And now the big one, the one that I've been dying to talk about on this podcast. So the traffic jam scenes. It might surprise some of you guys to know that a lot of those scenes are actually real. That is where the town of Turin has been shut down and a lot of the actual genuine reactions of motorists have been filmed uh, throughout the scenes. However, it's important to note that the authorities refused to do it themselves so the production team had to do it themselves and they had a little bit of help. Guess who they had help off? The mafia. They paid off the mafia to shut down areas of Turin. <laughs> and it's just like, you know how you're depicted in this film, guys. And just that's why 
whenever you see them, they're actually quite dignified. And at no point did the mafia look like idiots. <laughs> they were working for the film. I just, I cannot believe that. So the Italian job has had forms of collusion with the Italian mafia in order to be made. And with that, I draw a close to VHS Corner. Wow. The Italian job is like the Brits trying to like steal some gold from some Italians and the mafia intervening. Whereas the film, the Italian job is like a British film going to film about gold being taken and the, the mafia intervening <laughs> you could make a brilliant. film about the film like about the making of the oh film in that sense god it's like inception isn't it that's so i can't believe that i i knew that they had to make a traffic jam of some sort but i didn't know they had to get the mafia involved but that is brilliant and the authorities probably went yeah whatever just crack on guys don't, I don't care just get on with it that is brilliant yeah so the big the big thing with italy sorry to go political again <laughs> um but yeah the mafia have so much control over several parts of Italy just because there's just a lack of uh, like state intervention. So basically, if you can just get the mafia, the mafia to agree to do something, you just you just get to do it. Wow, that's so cool. Did the mafia start as well to defend lemons? Is that true? When people started making lemons, they got people called the mafia to look after the lemon production in Italy, and that's when the mafia originally formed. We may have to Google that anyway. It's a protection racket, so yeah, that sounds quite plausible. Mm, possibly. You guys can Google Mafia Origins in your time. <laughs> sure, Lemons is in the origin story of the Mafia somewhere. Doesn't make a good film, though, does it? You know, The Godfather and Goodfellas, maybe Lemons isn't really that Mafia-y. Well, you know what they say, when life gives you lemons, get the Mafia to protect you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think... And I was thinking that, and it's crazy that it didn't come up. Because, like, where we were talking about, like, things you can't get away with now with, like, these classic films, that's what makes me laugh about the premise of this film it's it's very british in the sense of like you read the synopsis and i don't know about you guys but i've never thought of the italian job as oh yeah that traffic jam film <laughs> you know i've never thought of it like if i was to make a synopsis i'd be like they pull off a heist with mini coopers i wouldn't be like by doing a traffic jam and i'm like that's such a british idea in itself but when i was watching it i was like how did they do this how did you because you see the actual shot so when craig was saying oh, you know, like Fiat was involved. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Maybe they just, yeah, filled a, a place on a quiet Sunday or something with, with all these cars. But no, they actually caused actual traffic jams, which, yeah, that that's that's pretty crazy to, to think of. You know, we've talked all now about the legacy of this film and the interesting facts. So, you know, our final question then relates to our movie vault, uh, which remembers movies for all time. So we now ask, should the Italian job, go into the movie vault. Luke, what do you think? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, um, because it, it's, you know, it, it's of an era when, you know, we're never going to get a film like that ever again. And, and and like you said from that survey, it's something that is recognised. Even if people do, haven't seen it in its entirety, or they've just seen little glimpses of it, or they know it to be the film with the minis in, or the heist, or Michael Caine, or whatever it may be, Everyone knows the Italian job, and it's just something that is just so, even if it's kind of quintessentially maybe an English film, it just resonates with the people of of this country so, so, so much. And I think it's the breath of fresh air that maybe if everyone just sat down and watched the Italian job at the minute, they, they may leave 5, 10, 50% happier, and I think that can only be a good thing during this time. So for me, it's a yes. 
Yeah, I think um, even going into the film, I was kind of like, mm, maybe, you know, I was thinking it's such a famous film, so many famous lines, the cliffhanger, blow the bloody doors off. I was like, it has to go in. But then kind of when I was looking into it more, like talking to people about it, they were like, oh, yeah, I've never seen that. Or like a lot of people like, oh, you know, giving it three stars and stuff. I was like, oh, maybe this isn't like as celebrated or as remembered as I as I thought. But then once I watched it again, I was kind of like, nope, this is, you know, a pure classic. It's fantastic. Um, and, and as evident by our conversation today, uh, Craig, I, I assume you agree. I mean, for me, this is just the the film that I will forever think of when I think of Michael Caine. I think that the film is so unashamedly his at this point that, yeah, I, I think it's like one of his finest works. And given the fact that Michael Caine is a very respected actor, I think it would be ridiculous to not include one of his best films. Plus also all of the reasons I love the film. Also just Noel Coward. It was his last ever film. Oh. I think for that, he, uh, yeah, so you know the, the, the prison scene where he's walking down the steps? Mm. They had to film that over several takes because he was that ill that he couldn't go for too oh, long during wow. a take. So, yeah, I want to respect the man. Similar vibes to, like, Street Fighter with, uh, can't remember the actor's name at the moment, but who plays Bison and he was Gomez in, like, Adam's family of, like, going you know battling through it despite you know being ill etc so yeah much much respect for that so yeah you know the legacy has you know been proven and uh the italian job from 1969 goes into the movie vault All right, endgame time. So this is an endgame I called Boys in Their Cars, in bracket, I'm really sorry for the lack of creativity, I am slowly dying. <laughs> Basically, let's face it, lots of movies love cars, lots of lo- movies love talking about cars. So what I've done is I found a lovely little article which has compiled some of the best movie quotes involving cars. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through these quotes and I want you to direct message me before we give our answers audibly. Which film or film franchise you think this is from? Okay. Okay. So there's seven quotes. There is a tie break in the event that it's needed. Anyone need an explanation of the rules? I'm specifically looking at you, David. As long as you, yeah. Well, just making clear that it's me versus Lucas, which we haven't done in a while. But Yeah. So I'm going to explain the stakes. So essentially, we have to decide the film that will be discussed in next week's episode, what will be happening in this situation is very simple. Uh, both David and Luke will have chosen a film based, uh, based loosely on something that we might have discussed here, or there could just be some vague connection to the Italian job. Basically, just something that keeps the keeps the loop going. Very simple. Whoever wins this endgame, whatever film is in their head that they want to discuss next week, is the film that we discuss. So, what I'll do is this. I will give you the quote. If you haven't given me any form of an answer within, say... 30 seconds i might give you a hint but this will result in a half mark as opposed to a full mark so think carefully about whether or not you want to gamble on these things so quote number one a man with priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve such a fine automobile a man with priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve a fine automobile okay Luke, what did you go for? I went for James Bond. Um, no idea what the film is. I thought I'd go for something quite vague and which has all, loads of cars in it. So I thought I'd go for James Bond. Fair, David. 
um i I don't know something was vaguely in my head and then I was like I wanted to go to and I was like uh, I can't think exactly what it is so like something like Tarantino or something but then I was like I can't think of one so I just went with Starsky and Hutch because that's a film that has a nicest car okay so is it James Bond is it Starsky ah. and Hutch <laughs> it's Ferris Bueller's day off ah so oh, quite what? it's quite possibly the most famous car destruction in a film uh, just because obviously it's so it's so built up within the scene itself. I knew it was something of like that era or something. So, yeah, gutted. I often think of Ferris Bueller and Starsky and Hutch as being in the same era of <laughs> I films. I did say that I couldn't think of one from that time, so I just went for the random Starsky and Hutch <laughs> guess. Fair enough. <laughs> Quote number two. Need I remind you that you have a license to kill, not to break the traffic laws? Okay, David, what did you go for? I went for James Bond and I thought, I'm pretty sure I remember Judy Dench saying this and I'm just trying to think of all the like Pierce Brosnan ones and I went for Tomorrow Never Dies. So you've gone for Tomorrow Never Dies. And Luke? Ah, uh, we need a specific Bond film, yes? So this is the thing. I'm going to... I'm going to... If it is a James Bond film, I'm just going to award a point. Okay. What I was going to do for this one is if you tell me the exact one, I'll give you a bonus point. You know what? Because David gave you an actual James Bond film, I am going to go for also a Pierce Brosnan one. I'm going to just gamble with World is Not Enough. Okay, so first things first, is it James Bond? Yeah, in the exact words that Luke sent me is, it must be James Bond <laughs> now. <laughs> Which you are absolutely right, it is. So, remind me, how many how many uh, Piers Brosnan James Bond films are there? Four. Tomorrow Never Dies, Will Is Not Enough, uh, Goldeneye, and Die Another Day. Okay. So, is that it? All right. So, first things first, is it Tomorrow Never Dies? <laughs> is it The World Is Not Enough? <laughs> oh. Oh, <laughs> got it. It's no way. It's Goldeneye. Ah. Oh. Oh, and no way. It, it was Q oh. who says it. Ah, and we recently discussed that film, Q? which is gutting as well. Yeah. Ah, no All right. Way. Quote number four. Everybody can relax. I found the car. Needs some suspension work and shocks. Brakes, brake pads, lining, steering box, transmission, rear end. Sure, I know this because this film. Um... I'm just going to try. I'm just going to go for this. Okay. Um, there's definitely a theme with these answers. <laughs> David? So I went with The Fast and the Furious, thinking more the franchise, but if it is the first one, then great. But I would imagine maybe it's a later one. I was just go- gauging off the comedy. And David just pessimistically put at the end of his answer, any of them. <laughs> Luke, what did All you go for? I also went for uh, the Fast and Furious franchise, and I specifically said Too Fast, Too Furious because uh, that one I just remember more than some of the I'm, others. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna take that. a guess at eight, whichever that one that is. <laughs> well, let's just address it first of all. Is it any of the Fast and oh. Furious franchise? <laughs> no, it's is... Ghostbusters. Oh, <laughs> oh! yes, of course. <laughs> It's where uh, Dan Aykroyd's character, basically, they're doing up the vehicle. Makes sense, yeah. Spoiler, 
Uh, I don't know whether I should be saying this because of entertainment value, but I'm I'm going to be nice. None of these quotes are from Fast and the oh. Furious. <laughs> okay. Literally none of yeah, them. Like every single one, we're like, is it the Fast and the Furious? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I just thought I'd shut it down because I would like people to try and score some more points in this film. <laughs> okay. In this Fair film, enough. in Fair this enough. end game. All right, next quote. Men love women, but even more than that, men love cars. I'm trying to think of a romantic in... I haven't gone for a romantic. <laughs> David really hasn't gone for a romantic. <laughs> oh, yeah, why not? Let's go for that. Okay, so Luke, what did you go for? I went for Jason Statham, the transporter. And David? <laughs> I went for the very, very different Austin Powers because I just remember again, there was there was like a mini, there was like a jag and stuff in this film. Like, I just imagine that somebody would say this and Mike Myers would respond like, oh, I don't know about me, baby, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad show, actually. I was just thinking of because the trans- cause in the new Italian job, Jason Statham's character is called Handsome Dan or something. Oh, okay. So I was just thinking maybe I just thought I'd link it to that. But yeah, that seems, find out. That seems generous as Jason Statham, not going to lie. <laughs> He's the equivalent right. of Camp Freddy. <laughs> so is it... The transporter. <laughs> Is it Gutted. Austin Powers? Oh. <laughs> it's Rush. Oh. oh, Rush. So the battle between champion Formula One drivers James Hunt uh, and Nicky Lauder. Right. There's so many films with cars. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. almost as if cars are kind of crucial to modern society. <laughs> Look at that. We're going deep again. Are we getting pre- are we getting premium rush in this in this one? Like that's about a bike. <laughs> if if that appears in this, then I'll be surprised. Well, let's see if you get this next one. This next one is how I feel about a lot of people. <laughs> you care more about that car than you do about most people. Who loves their car in a movie? Mm. Who loves their car in a movie? Who, love, who loves their car? And also, the car is quite crucial to the plot of the movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my first choice because I once you said that it made me think of like completely other stuff but I was like uh this yeah this is, this is definitely wrong but I'm putting it in for comedic value okay I'm sorry <laughs> this isn't true this isn't right I'm sorry there's a link to it I don't think that's a stupid answer in fairness so Luke do you want to tell the listeners what you went for I said Monsters Inc because um, Mike Myers, not Mike Myers, that's, that's a Mike way Myers. different yeah. film. Uh, Mike Wazowski loves his car. And I don't think there's a bit in it where he says to his, the, the medusary snake woman about his car, but I, I had a bit of a blank. So I'm going to go for that. There is also the Pixar short where he gets a new car and he's really happy with it. So that's why I don't think that's a stupid answer. That's David. What I meant. I meant that. David, what did you go for? I went for Transformers, Transformers franchise, because obviously Shia LaBeouf is very close to Bumblebee and everything, and this seems like something Megan Fox or something would say. Okay. So, let's... Is it Monsters, Inc.? Is it Felma... I just said what the answer is. It's Fel- <laughs> is it Transformers? It's Felmer and Louise. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Uh, ah, okay. Well, so, showing your ingrained sexism there, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Megan David Fox was so would bad at this game. That, yeah. 
And literally the article I got this from literally starts the segment with an obsession with cars isn't gender specific. To be fair, the Transformers franchise could have covered Bumblebee and Bumblebee is owned by a woman. In yeah, but I, I, I think I would have called BS on your answer there, okay. Dave. Like, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> While we're on the subject of women in cars, the next quote is this. It's the car, right? Chicks always dig the car. Oh, for some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this answer because neither of us going to say. It. I'm thinking of Borat for some reason, but it's not that obviously. It's the car, right? It, it is indeed not Borat, and I'm I'm willing to let you have an actual guess. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Is I'm not going. Mm, no. Oh, I think I feel like I know this, and I'm just like, you really should, David. I'm not yeah, going to lie. Exactly. I'm like, I hear it, and I'm like, shit. Okay, so as a spoiler. Both of your answers could not be any more wrong. Uh, <laughs> David. I, I feel like I know this one. I was like, it's this type of character. And that's why I just had to go with what I was thinking in the vein of. But I was like, mm. David, what did you go for? I went for American Pie. <laughs> I was thinking like a stiffler <laughs> kind of person. Saying... Okay. Luke, what did you go for? Gran Torino. <laughs> okay. So both answers are... I'm feeling sorry for both of you, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell you the next line that happens in the scene, and then I'm going to let you both... I'm basically f- fastest one to message me the, the answer they think it is. We'll get a point. So the line that follows is this. This is why Superman usually works alone. Maybe? Oh, um, no. Uh... This this is painful, guys. <laughs> I know. I, I was know, just like, I know, I, know, I, know. I know it. I was like, all right. So both of you, all right. So David, uh, David has gone for Justice League. Luke has gone for Batman Begins. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what is the actual film it's from? It's Batman Forever. Oh, oh no way! Yes, right. Okay. Well, specifically, it's actually uh, Batman and Robin. This uh, this article is actually wrong. Oh. But it's, oh, it's Batman and Robin because it's George Clooney's yeah, that's Batman who says it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that film, that's what I mean. Man, I was like, Jesus. I know somebody said I can hear them saying it. That's what it is. Yeah, I could not have given you more chances. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I was a, yeah, we were there at least with DC, but I suppose Superman was mentioned, so obviously. Okay. <laughs> so the final quote before we quite plausibly <laughs> might have to look at a tie break because <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, for the scores at home, uh, currently one apiece. <laughs> and, yeah. Bear in mind, I did say if you waited like 30 seconds, I'd give you a hint. And neither uh, of you have opted true. for this. We've, we've felt know, that we got confident each time, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. All right. The final quote of this game. I always say, the way a man treats his car is how he treats himself. I always say the the way a man treats his car is how he treats himself. It seems familiar, but I think I'm going to need the hint. I'm going to wait for the hint as well. I'm going to do that. Okay, the hint is this. It is one of you have already answered this film as one of your previous guesses. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So would you like me to go through all the films that have been guessed so far? And if one of you guesses a film that no one has said in this quiz so far, I'm going to lose the will to live. So yeah, maybe, yeah, let's get the list so we know that maybe one of us yeah. has a chance of... Yeah, so I'm going to ignore the, the Batman films. So these are the films that it could be. Gran Torino, American Pie, Monsters, Inc., Transformers, 
The Transporter, Austin Powers, Too Fast, Too Furious, any of the Fast and Furious franchise, James Bond, Starsky and Hutch. I'm going to go for that. Yeah, I'm going to go for my first thought. So I'm happy to say that one of you have got it. (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) So, yeah, God. Luke, what did you go for? I went for the Transporter. And David? Transformers. So I can tell you that the film that that quote came from was Trans Porter, which means Luke gets the point. And Luke, (laughs) you are the winner of the endgame. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I mean, it's a, it's a you know a violent effort from the two of us. Me getting two points, David getting one. Uh, you know, maybe a, a more football score than a, a, a ten yeah. question quiz. But there we go. You uh, know, it was seven <laughs> questions, so I think it makes that slightly better. But like, with the chance of bonus points, we still didn't get any. <laughs> uh, I could have redeemed myself. I'm on such a losing streak lately when I have partaked in any games. Worthy winner. So with that, obviously, that means that Luke has the has the opportunity to now choose what film we discuss in next week's episode. So before you tell us which film you've chosen, maybe give us a little bit of the rationale as to why you particularly want us to talk about this film. So what is it that potentially links it to what we've been talking about today and what you'd like us to talk about next next time? Ah, right, okay. Unless you've spoken about it on the podcast already before. I had a little look at your podcast, and I don't think you have specifically spoken about this film, but it's a movie which also features Michael Caine. Uh, The opening scene is a heist which does go to plan, and is a movie which I think you could talk about this. I controversially thought it was way overrated at the time, but in the cold, sober light of day, I can now say that it was, you know, one of the movies that even as a standalone and not part of its trilogy, which I think is a masterpiece, is something that changed cinema. And that movie is The Dark Knight. Uh, do you know, I Excellent. was actually thinking Batman Begins, so it's uh, funny that <laughs> funny you say that. And it makes it even funnier that you didn't guess the, the Batman film answer right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It was one of those movies that I, I watched and, and I watched it at the time and, and I thought this is just, the hype is way too much. And I watched it a couple of years later and I thought this is an absolute masterpiece. Even if you hate superhero movies, watching it as a standalone movie, you can't lie, it's an absolute masterpiece. So yeah, yeah, I'd like you to have a chat about that on your next podcast, please. I mean, with absolute pleasure. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. Uh, I don't, or weirdly... I don't think that's in the movie vault yet, is it, David? Even when we did films um, of the... It is in the movie vault from the Joker episode. So we were just talking about how famous Joker is, but we didn't talk about The Dark Knight as a film, really. So that's why it's a good chance to visit films that we, like, at the start of the podcast, were kind of putting into the movie vault based on, like, conversations about legacy and characters. But, you know, we just didn't get a chance to actually, like, flesh out and talk about those films. So there it was very briefly touched on because we were talking so much about Joker, like, where the... Todd Phillips film had just come out, uh, Walking Phoenix, uh, and, but obviously had said you know how great Heath Ledger was. So yeah, it's definitely one that's been uh, waiting for its its dues to be fully discussed. I think yeah. So we can't wait to discuss The Dark Knight in the next episode. If you haven't watched The Dark Knight, then uh, go check it out. If you want to sort of watch along with us 
um, at home. Or if you have seen The Dark Knight, then you can possibly like rewatch it um, and then you'll be all ready for next time. Uh, so you can sort of follow our crazy chain of movies. If you do want to check out uh, the film on streaming, then it's on Sky Cinema or Now TV. Um, or of course, you can pick it up uh, on physical, on DVD, Blu-ray, or you can rent it from any sort of like digital supplier. Yeah, we look forward to discussing The Dark Knight on the next episode. Uh, thanks for that suggestion, Luke. We can't wait to discuss it. Yeah, thanks guys for you know this great discussion about uh, the Italian job. Lots of fun. Um, hopefully we didn't get into too much dark territory as fun as this uh, film is. Um, and thank you for joining us, uh, Luke. So uh, where can the people catch you? What have you got at, going on at the moment? Which people should go check out? Any socials or anywhere people can sort of find you? Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, the most active probably on my Instagram. It's uh, at Luke Davis Presenter. That's D A V I E S. I know some people spell it D A V I S. Um, but you can check me out on there. Uh, and if you tune into S4C every Thursday for the next four or five weeks, you'll see me on a kids' TV show at 5:40. So check it on if you, fan- if you fancy. Uh, and you may be able to see me on ITV Hub as well uh, on FYI Extra if you want to see some uh, some movie news there too. Yeah, go on to ITV Hub rather than staying up until three o'clock in the morning gambling or something like that. <laughs> Just catch up. Yeah, instead. don't do that. <laughs> or definitely basically trying to watch porn and thinking FYI Extra is the next best thing. <laughs> Possibly. We've come full circle since the beginning where we talked about <laughs> the 5Ds thing. Craig, anything lastly from yourself? I'm going to keep it short because I'm still dying. Uh, this has been great. Thank you. I cannot wait for the next episode. It's very rarely I say that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, definitely won't be a dud that we're talking about uh, next week. And uh, yeah, very well timed as well with the Batman coming out. So yeah, we look forward to that one. Like I said, watch along at home. Uh, check out The Dark Knight. Uh, thank you again, Luke. And uh, we'll catch you all on the next one. See you guys later. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. supposed to blow the bloody doors off.